There is no name that is above the name of Jesus. It is in your name not only do we have victory from our sins. It is in your name that we lay hold of healing. It is in your name that we find wisdom. It is in your name that you give direction. And it's in your name that chains are broken and we are set free. And so, Father, we sing with great joy the name of Jesus. And as we approach your word today, O oh God, I ask that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that you would begin to reveal to us of how to take the word and the truth of it and plant it in our souls so that something very individual happens in our growth process in you. We thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. And now we ask that the sweet aroma of the anointing of the Holy Spirit would rest upon us as we study your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap as you're sitting down this morning. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you so much, worship team. I'm thankful for talented people that can lead us into the presence of the Lord. For those of you who have been with us the past several weeks, we have been going through a series that I titled Storm Stories, talking about how do we make it through the difficult times within our lives, what, what's going on in the spiritual realm when we're going through things like that. And for those of you that may not have been able to catch up on all of those messages, you can go to our website and hit the media icon, and uh, they are all there for you to listen to. But we've talked about why do storms strike our lives? Why is it that we have to go through difficulties? Talked about staying steady in the middle of the storm and bringing purpose to the storms of our life. Last week, we talked about staying faithful in the storm. And today, I want to talk about God's presence in the middle of your storm. God's presence in the middle of your storm. There's a verse that's found in Genesis chapter 28, verse 15, that says this. I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, here's what I would like to ask you this morning. How many of you have a sense in your heart that God has laid a promise in your heart, something that he wants to accomplish in you or through you that you have not yet seen accomplished? May I see your hand? Many, many people. In other words, you know that you are in process. That God is fulfilling something in you and through in you, through you, and there is a process that's taking place. On November the 28th, 1965, the fighter plane of Howard Rutledge exploded under enemy fire. He parachuted out before the plane crashed and instantly was captured by the North Vietnamese Army and was promptly placed in the Heartbreak Hotel, one of the prisons in Hanoi. He stated, as he was writing his memoirs, when the door slammed and the key turned on that rusty iron lock, a feeling of utter loneliness swept over me. I laid down on a cold cement slab in my six-foot-by-six-foot six prison. The smell of human excrement burned my nostrils. A rat, large as a small cat, scampered across the slab beside me. The walls and the floors and the ceilings were caked with filth. Bars covered my tiny window high above the door, and I was cold, and I was hungry. My body ached from swollen joints and sprained muscles. 
He said it's hard to describe what solitary confinement can do to unnerve and defeat a man. You quickly tire of standing up or of sitting down or of sleeping or of being awake. There are no books, no papers, no pencils, no magazines, and no newspapers. The only colors you see are drab gray and dirty brown. Months or years go by when you don't see the sunrise or the moon, green grass or flowers. You are locked in, alone and silent in your filthy little cell, breathing stale, rotten air, and trying to keep your sanity. Few of us will ever face the austere conditions of a POW camp. But I believe that to one degree or another, every one of us probably have had circumstances take place in our life where we felt that we were in a prison spiritually and did not know how we were ever going to get out. I believe that the enemy works very hard to try to place us in times like that. And your prison could come in many different forms. Just this week, I spoke with a family whose prison sounds like this. The doctor came in and told his wife, you have an incurable heart disease and the only treatment we can do is to make you comfortable. As the husband realizes, I might have to watch my wife waste away before my eyes. Another prison that we have heard about is a beautiful marriage of many, many years. The friend, the wife of this friend began to lose her memory. In the middle of the night, she woke up, didn't know. She thought a strange man was in her house and calls the police. The police rushed there only to find that the strange man is her husband. They had hopes of growing old together, but they've been asked to move into a care facility where only one of them will remember the rest of their life together. It's a prison to them. I've had a conversation with a minister's wife whose husband is battling deep, deep depression She said, I feel stuck in this, which is chain number one. And the second chain is, I feel guilty for feeling stuck in this, which is chain number two, which locks her into a prison that she did not expect. Each of these people, and perhaps you as well, have had experiences where in the middle of your storm and in the middle of the prison, you begin to say things like this, where is heaven in the middle of all of this? Why would God permit such an imprisonment why does this storm ever have to happen or what purpose does it serve within my life I believe this morning that there is a word from God for us as it relates to the storms of our life you can turn if you would to Genesis chapter 39 verses 20 and 21 the scripture speaking of the life of Joseph says this Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. I want you to look closely at the words of this verse. Because there are those that believe when they are in the middle of a storm in life, that when they are in the middle of a struggle, that God has left them and forsaken them, and that they are fighting all by themselves, and that this one's on me. 
I want you to see very clearly that Joseph was in prison and the scripture very clearly states to us that the Lord was in the prison with him. Hallelujah. Not only was the Lord in prison with him, but in spite of the circumstances of being in prison, the Lord showed kindness to him and the Lord's favor was upon him even in the middle of prison. In other words, it doesn't matter what you may be going through. God's kindness can still be with you. His favor can still be upon you even though you feel trapped in what's going on in your life. God is not limited by the circumstances of your life. For those of you that may be familiar with the story of Joseph in the Bible, you understand that there was a moment in time when as a 17-year-old boy, he wanders out because his father told him to go check on his brothers. He being not the oldest was not entitled to be the heir of everything, yet his father loved him more than the other 12 sons and chose him to be the head of the family, gave him a beautiful robe to symbolize that favor. As he walks out to check on his brothers, they were sick and tired of him. He'd talked about dreams of them all bowing down to him. And being a teenager, he probably did not have the wisdom to present that well. They see him coming. They begin to hatch a plan. Some of them wanted to kill him. The older brother said, we can't do that. So they took him and threw him in a cistern. He was then taken out, sold, taken down to a city. And I want you to imagine for a moment, you're 17 years old. And suddenly, everything that you dreamed about is gone, except the dreams that God planted in your heart. The circumstances no longer look as if those are even going to be possible or available. He's been stripped of his identity, of his coat, and even his family. And now this simple country boy from an unsophisticated family is transported to the capital city of the most advanced nation on earth. Imagine! How Joseph must have felt when he's being drugged behind the camels and they crest the last hill and they, the wonders of ancient Egypt spread out before his eyes on the, the plains of Giza. The great pyramids would have already been built in his day and were standing there. And so Joseph would have seen them. He would have seen the Sphinx. He would have seen the great temples and the opulent palace of Pharaoh. It was a culture shock to this young man who lived in the country. And on the surface, it seems as if the circumstances could not have been worse for Joseph. It looks like all of his dreams are dashed. It looks like all of the plans of God have been taken and ripped away from him and that nothing good can ever happen to him. But this young man, in the middle of a prison, in the middle of a storm, there were some things that he hung on to. He never lost his belief that God still believed in him. Sometimes you have to hang on to that. That whatever you were going through, God still believes in you. I would imagine trudging through that hot sand in that desert toward Egypt, he had to keep telling himself, I know that it's not going to end this way. He had to keep telling himself, but I know that the dreams that God has planted upon my heart, they are real and they are mine. And I know that regardless of what's happening now, I'm hanging on to the dreams of God. I've been called to more than this. God has greater plans for me than what I am seeing right now. And in the middle of it all, I'm going to cling to him and hang on tight. And as we get into this, we begin to recognize some things. 
what we must do to hang on in the middle of our storm knowing that the presence of God is there. And the first thing that we must do is we've got to cling to God's character in the middle of the storm. Cling to God's character in the middle of the storm. Joseph had been sold into slavery. Potiphar had bought him. Potiphar was likely the executioner for the Pharaoh, a high-ranking official. As he went to work for Potiphar, even though he was in a prison, God's favor was upon him. In fact, the scripture tells us that everything he touched began to turn to gold. The business began to grow. Potiphar looked at him and said, there's something about this young man that I can't explain. Even though he's a prisoner, God is doing something within him. And his business, everything he does about my business grows, I'm going to trust him with everything. And he began to blossom under God's favor while he was in a prison. Satan didn't like that, and so he begins to motivate Potiphar's wife to look at this young man through lustful eyes and say, I'm going to sleep with that young man. And he fought every opportunity that he could, and one day, for some reason, he was in the house and nobody else was there. She grabs his coat. He leaves the coat to keep the character of God alive within him. Humiliated, she makes up a story, and he's arrested and thrown into prison again. The second time now, it seems as if God's blessing has been ripped from him and he's thrown back into a prison. It could have been in any one of those moments that he could have said, I give up. I don't know what's going on, but no longer will I do this. But the Lord teaches us that while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was still with him. In spite of what's going on in your life, don't you ever once doubt that God's presence is not with you there. This teaches us that the Lord is present in your storm, that the Lord blesses in your storm, that he shows kindness to you in the storm, that he shows his favor to you in your storm, and he will show favor to you all the way to the end. We talked earlier about this, that there are times when the wind is blowing in your life, and it's beating against your life, and you don't know if you can survive, that the Holy Spirit puts his hand there and becomes a shield so that you will not be destroyed. In the middle of what he blocks the furiousness and the fierceness of it so that what you feel is storm, but it's not going to overwhelm you because God protects you in the middle of that. Now, I know that some of you would say, I have been so close to the point of defeat that I did not know if I was going to be able to take another breath. But in the middle of it, you survived the day and you lived to give God the glory for it. What this tells us is this, God is always in charge of those that are in charge of you. God is always in charge of those that are in charge of you. Now, some of you are, your boss's face is running through your mind. And you're going, I, you know, I was with you till then, I don't know. Can God do anybody with anything with them? I want you to know something. God is in charge of those that are in charge of you. Now, in an effort to become more contemporary, I'm going to give you a tweetable quote. I'm not sure what it is, but it sounds good. So for those of you that tweet, let me present this to you. Don't abandon your God-given values in pursuit of your God-given dreams. Pete Wilson quoted that. Don't abandon your God-given values in pursuit 
of your God-given dreams. In other words, if God has planted dreams upon your heart or things that you believe he's leading you to, don't short-circuit the holiness to get to what you think he's going to give you because we've got all kinds of examples in the Bible of that happening. Abraham abandoned his values for God's dreams and we ended up with Ishmael. Sarah abandoned her values for God's promise and we ended up with a manipulating servant by the name of Hagar. In other words, God is saying, don't short-circuit the process. I've got a plan, and I will work it out in you, through you, and for you, and you can do it in such a way that you will never compromise the values that I have placed within you. So don't short-circuit what I'm doing. God can work in spite of your storm. He will honor your integrity and honesty during the storm. He will always vindicate his truth that you stood for in the middle of the storm, and he will always honor you and forgive those who trespass against you if you will hang on to the character of God in the middle of the storm. Secondly, there's going to be times when you simply have to pray your pain out in the middle of the storm. There are moments when things so unexpected will happen that you will just have to alone pound on a table for a minute. I don't understand what's going on. If you're like me, there will be moments when you're going to have to get up and walk out of the house and just walk back and forth through the yard for a little while. And say, Lord, I have got to talk to you about this because I am confused. I don't understand why this is happening to me. And maybe if you have neighbors real close, they'll call the police on you. If you have a little room, or maybe they'll come out and join you and you just beat a path in the yard. So I'm mad, and I'm telling God about it today. Sometimes our most tenacious prayers come when we're angry. Sometimes when we don't understand what's happening is when we fall on our face and say, God, I am pursuing, I'm not letting go until something happens here. If you're angry at God, if you're disappointed in his strategy, if you're ticked off at his choices, you might as well let him know it. Because he knows what you're thinking anyway. Now, some of you are saying, but pastor, last week you talked about Job never let sin out of his lips. There's a difference between cursing God in the middle of a storm and expressing to God your anger at how things are going. It is an emotion that he gave to us and he instructed us in the word that there are ways that we can be angry and sin not. And expressing anger to him is not going to scare him. He's not going to run and hide behind his throne until you calm down. He's perfectly capable of handling all the anger that you have got. Let me tell you in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah felt this. This ancient prophet who was the pastor of Jerusalem during an economic collapse, political collapse of his people. There was invasion, disaster, exile, hunger, death. Jeremiah saw it all. And so in his devotion time, pastoring a congregation of people that were turning their back on God and everything was happening to them, he gets angry. And in fact, he got so angry that in his devotions it was written down and we call it the book of Lamentations. Let me read to you some of his angry prayers in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 2 through 8. This is Pastor Jeremiah speaking. 
God has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he's turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He's aged my flesh and my skin. In other words, I'm getting gray-headed over this. I'm aging because of this problem. Broken my bones. He's besieged me, surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He's sit me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He's hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He's made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayers. Any of you ever had that happen? In fact, Jeremiah was so angry that he infused five whole chapters with this kind of prayer. He was furious, and if you were to summarize the book of Lamentations with one line, it would be this, life is lousy. Why would God place Lamentations in the Bible? Maybe it's so that he convinced us to follow Jeremiah's example. So go ahead and file your grievance. Psalm 142.2 says, I will pour out my complaint before him, and I will tell him my trouble. In other words, God says, go ahead. If you don't know what's going on, you can tell me what's going on. I know things you don't know, so I might just smile at you. But I am perfectly capable of handing all of your complaints and all of your anger and all of your misunderstanding at what is taking place here. There are times you just have to take all of your anger and all of your disappointments and run to an altar or run to a prayer closet and close the door and say, God, I am not coming out until I poured all of this out at your feet and then I will give it to you and I can stand up in relief. Even though the conditions may not change instantly, I will have at least poured it out to the one who can do something about it. And cry it out. Cry it out. In the middle of Jeremiah's tirade, we come to this place in chapter 3, verses 21 through 25, where you seem to see that this prophet, after crying out his anger at God, God gives him a moment of peace. And his nature changes in this. And this is what he said. Remember, he's just been crying it out before God in anger. Yet, this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope because the Lord's great love, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. Did you hear that? In the middle of his prison, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of a, dis, a, a people that he felt was being deserted by God, I declare to you that your compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, I don't feel it right now, but I'm declaring it. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. There's that wait word that we all just hate. I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, the one who seeks him. Listen, sorrow may come with the night, but joy is coming in the morning. Hallelujah. In the middle of what seemed like an insurvivable storm in Jeremiah's life, God shows up. And his presence gives him hope in the middle of this thing. And there's words to an old song that some of you might know that would be really appropriate here. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, may we come running into your presence, falling on our face before you, and cry it out until we have relief. We used to call that praying through. 
I'm not leaving, Lord, until I have some relief in my spirit about this. Thirdly, lay claim to the nearness of God in the storm. Hebrews 13.5 says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The Greek construction of this particular verse is highly unique because there are actually five negatives that are in the actual Greek translation. In other words, you know when the Lord repeats a word that it's important. That's why when we talk about holy, holy, it's important. When he says holy, 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 it's indescribably important. Well, within this verse, the original translation would say this. I will not, not leave thee. Neither, I will not, not forsake thee. In other words, he is trying to tell us, I want you to know that in the middle of your temptation to think that this is it, you're all on your own, I am not, not leaving you. The assurance of the presence of the Lord in the middle of all of this could not come across any stronger from the writer to us in this. He wants you to know, regardless of how you feel, my presence is there with you in this, and I'm not leaving you no matter how deep you think your prison cell is. There are moments we feel far from God. We feel his presence is not around but the Lord wants you to know that it's not your feelings that are at stake here. It's your knowledge of the fact that he has promised you in his word that you would not be left to linger in the prison without him. Listen, in your most difficult days, it demands a decision of faith on you. We are people of faith. We say that we have faith in Jesus. You want to know when your neighbors notice it the most? It's when you're in the middle of a prison cell, in the middle of a storm that's holding you back, in the middle of things aren't going well, and you still get up in the morning and you sing praises to the Lord, and you still pray, and you still walk in faith because you know my feelings may not be the best to follow. I'm following on the faith of what I know of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has promised me he would never leave me. He would never forsake me. The decisions that we have to make in this are to love his presence. There's a verse that's found in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17. And as they're putting that up, let me tell you something. God is with you whether you are happy or not. God is with you whether you are full of joy or whether you're battling depression. God is with you whether your body is well or you are full of sickness and disease. Your physical condition does not determine the presence of the Lord. His word determines his presence. And so in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17, the scripture says to us, The Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. Some of you need to know that today. That your God delights in you he's not angry with you he doesn't hate you he's not turning his back on you he's not mildly amused by you he delights in you and it says he will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing i found a picture it's called forgiven to by thomas blackshear that i'd like to show because I believe that this picture gives us a demonstration of what this verse means to us. 
I want you to picture what it's like for you when you get up and you realize I've got no strength left to fight this battle. I am in the middle of a situation that doesn't seem as if there is an open door out. I don't know where I am going to do, go or what I'm going to do. I feel trapped. I feel energyless. I feel as if I've been all alone. And in that moment, the word of God comes to you and Jesus says, this is what it looks like for me to come alongside of you. And I put my arm around you. And I strengthen you. And I read this verse when it says that he will quiet you. He's whispering in your ear, everything's okay. Everything's okay. I've got this. I've got you. And then there's this line in this verse that says, He will rejoice over you with singing. Now, I have memories. As a child, when I was just a little boy, that when I wasn't feeling good or something, my mom would take me and rock me, and she would just sing. There was something about her voice in the middle of singing that just began to bring a peace to my soul. I want you to picture the Lord in, in that embrace of you, holding you in the middle of this, and in your ear, He's just singing to you. My strength is sufficient. I've got you. I love you. Everything's going to be all right. And the songs that begin to flow through your heart. Some of you get up in the morning and there, there are songs that are flowing in your heart. There are words of, that begin to flow through your spirit. I want you to know that that's the fulfillment of the scripture. That in the middle of the storm, the words of songs begin to rise up. Because there's something about engaging a melody in our spirit that begins to lift us up from what we are there. And as the Lord embraces us, he quiets you. He sings in your ear. He rejoices over you because his presence is with you in the middle of the storm. So God invites you today, how will you respond in the middle of the storm? I've asked the worship team if they would please come. You have the opportunity today to choose whether you will be like a rock or like a sponge. See, if you place a rock in water, the water will surround it. It gets the surface wet, the exterior may change color. But the interior of that rock remains the same. It's untouched. Yet if you place a sponge in water, notice the change. It absorbs the water. Water penetrates its every pore and alters the essence of that sponge. Today, God is surrounding us in very much the same way. He's everywhere. He's got your life covered upside, downside, frontside, backside. All around, his presence is there for you. But you choose your response. You can be a rock or a sponge. You can resist or you can receive. You can run from God or you can run to God. Listen, hard hearts never heal. Some of you have been walking around with a hard heart way too long. Spongy hearts heal. So open every pore to God's presence. You are God's child. He picked you. He's placed you. He knows you. He's with you. He surrounds you. Even in the middle of prison, God was with Joseph. And in the middle of your storm, the presence of the Lord is there with you. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. We sang a song just before I came up here that I want us to get to know and I want the worship team to lead us in that one more time before we prepare for a response at the altar.